Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. This week, I am talking to Rania Robinson, a female powerhouse CEO of Quiet Storm and the president of Wackle. We cover marginalization on a gender basis, a race basis, and on a parental basis. I learn how she fell in love with advertising at a very young age. When Rania first started in London, she found herself amongst so many people from different cultural backgrounds, and yet in the workplace, she was one of only a few people of colour. She reflects on the time her gender, race, and the fact that she was a mother and her educational background resulted in resistance from others as her career progressed. Rania shares how her background and past influences have led her to treasure female influences, acknowledging the importance of strong women who speak their minds and speak up for others who may not be able to and why she is therefore delighted to be the president of Wackle this year, with the empowerment of women at its very centre. And finally, a hot topic for both of us, culture. We discuss how her husband and business partner, Trevor, and she have created an agency culture with really strong values of inclusivity, fairness and empowerment. Don't miss this week's episode. I know you will find Rania so inspiring. And if you've enjoyed it, please share it with your work colleagues and please tick like, because it makes a really big difference to us. Thanks very much. Good morning, Rania. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Suki. It's lovely to be speaking to you this morning. Oh, it's lovely to be speaking to you as well. I'm going to ask you the question that I ask lots of my guests because we use it a lot at Let's Reset. On a scale of one to 10, how energised are you feeling today? God, I actually feel probably about eight. I feel really, really energised actually, which is a surprise because normally with the change of season, I think maybe I've sort of passed that point because it's just that initial change of season. I always have a bit of a lull before I kind of, in a way, reset for the winter. Um, and actually, I'm feeling like I'm maybe in reset mode now, which is good. It's not, you know, had a bit of sunshine at the weekend that might have helped. Isn't it, I know, isn't it strange? I still get it. And I've really felt it this year. I don't know whether it's because, you know, I took some time off in the summer, um, whether we've had such amazing weather, whether, you know, there's a lot happening in the world, isn't there? I feel like the pressure yeah. the world's quite heavy. Yeah, there's a lot of negativity at the moment. I think we we know we're facing into a tough winter uh, economically. We've been dealing with a lot of stuff prior to that, obviously, and the Ukrainian war is still going on. It does. I, I think it's almost like it's been a cumulative effect. Normally we have things that we deal with and then you sort of shift out of it and you move on. But we've had a, this cumulative effect, COVID, Ukraine, the economy. It's just, it's felt quite relentless, I think. So I think it, it is a... It is probably a more daunting winter than maybe you know than maybe previous years for for those reasons. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. Um, look, we're going to talk today about lots of things about you as an entrepreneur, as a female leader, about your presidency at Wackle. Um, but I'd like to start with a little bit about you because I think you know actually just talking about where we are. One of the things that I feel about you is you're incredibly resilient. You have you know, time for lots of people, um, but you always have kind of extra things going on. And I wonder, I wonder where that started from. Tell us a little bit about your childhood, what, uh, what, what parents um, and your background as well. Yeah. That would be really great. Okay, so I came to England when I was three from Egypt. I come from a, I've got you know very sort of mixed heritage. 
um, but I was born in Egypt, came to England when I was three, started school at the age of four, not speaking any English. I'd literally gone from my my family home where we spoke Arabic um, into a, the school environment. And it was the first time really that I was interacting with people that spoke a different language, really. And so, I, I mean, it's obviously quite daunting starting school at the best of times, isn't it? And I was a young, I was a summer baby as well. So I was quite young starting as well on, on top of that. So, um, and, and I mean, you, you learn, you pick up the language really quick. I don't even barely remember. I just remember not being able to speak and, and read. Like I went to Roman Catholic school as well, which was a bit weird coming from a Muslim heritage, which wow. I remember really weird. But I spoke to my parents about it sort of later on and, and they sort of what they liked was that there was some faith and structure around the school, and they felt like being in, a, in an environment with faith, sort of. And actually, if you look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of alignment with with um, the Islamic uh, with the Quran. Actually, it's just when they get into the New Testament where, where it, it sort of splinters off and um, slightly different um, views and ideology around that. But I, um, yeah, so 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 I was in an environment where I felt so completely different to everybody else like culturally religiously language everything um and and it was accentuated by the fact that you know it was also a religious school if it was a kind of non-secular school maybe it wouldn't have even been felt quite so compounded and we and it, and it was you know outside london so wiltshire um, very very little diversity whatsoever so i was really one i was really like just very very odd odd one out if you like on so many levels and i mean obviously that is like excruciatingly uncomfortable when you're at that age because you just want to belong I mean you know it's that you just want to look like everybody else and but but in a way it was sort of it's it I I had to learn resilience from a very very young age and actually it taught me some really brilliant life skills and actually skills that I've applied and taken into my profession it's interesting that I've ended up in the communications industry really given this kind of early start in life where, where but I think what it taught me was you spend a lot of time observing, you know, and you and you and you want to fit in. You want to assimilate. So, it you create very empathetic. You kind of want to empathize. It creates sort of empathetic skills. It's a really sort of strange thing to explain because you want to sort of mirror as much as you can because you're you're learning from these these cues, these non-verbal cues. And and I think what it taught me was a real like appreciation for and understanding of people. Yes. Um, and understanding them, how to engage with them emo- in a much more emotional way, rather than through always through sort of classic communication and things like things like that. So, I think that's really stood me in good stead, you know, in terms of our industry, which is all about understanding people, isn't it? Whether it's consumers, whether it's your teammates, whether it's colleagues, like bosses, clients, everything is around people, isn't it? And, and finding those connections. So, yeah. yeah. So I think it, it's. Yeah, I can see that a lot. Completely. What um, what languages do you speak now? Do you do you speak oh just to do, to your family? How does that work? I mean, to my shame, I don't. And actually, it's even more so because my mum was an Arabic teacher, and she did try really hard. But I think again, because I wasn't in the community, yes, I just didn't. I just wanted to fit in. So my mum would it got to a point where you know my mum would speak to me in Arabic. I lost my dad when I was quite young, so and he was you know he was working away quite a lot, but. But my mom would speak to me in Arabic and I'd start to answer in English. So for a long time, I understood, but didn't speak. And then obviously without having that connection, you know, to the community, you know, I, I, I've, that, that I've kind of lost even the ability to understand, really. I understand the odd word here and there. But so to my shame, I really, it's something I really regret, actually. So it'd be amazing to have a second language. Gosh, I know. I think it's one yeah. of those things we all, so many of us regret. Well, I certainly regret anyway. Yeah. And, and what about faith? Do you have faith? I don't, to be honest. I think um, my, I mean, we were like, my family were very sort of liberal. Is the word liberal? Um, I don't know if it's liberal, but I think if you look at the Islamic faith, I think obviously there's a lot of like, it's been exploited and changed and developed and evolved. And, you know, my my mum, you know, she also taught Islam. If you look at the foundational, you know, principles behind Islam, it's not, it's, it's kind of changed a lot in terms of how it's been interpreted. So, it's not that it's, you know, and my parents had a very sort of, I, I'm going to use the word liberal for, for want of another word, but yeah. it wasn't, you know, but it was just to me, it didn't make any sense. And just like Catholicism didn't make any sense to me, having gone to a Roman Catholic school, I think the principles of spirituality and being, you know, having good values and treating people kindly and being charitable and all those things 
the fundamentals that which comes through in any religion actually i buy into i buy into those principles like what i don't buy into is the kind of dogmatic ritualization and all all that sort of stuff that that comes with it so i've actually i'm agnostic i don't really have a a faith um well i've got i've got a sort of higher level faith if you like but not religion you know yeah okay okay i can see that so you know you grew up in this was it was it a was it a happy childhood despite being kind of different and trying to fit in yeah i mean to be honest with you i had yeah it was i mean i lost my dad when i was nine and my brother was he was much older so he was 18 when my when i lost my dad and just gone to university so what was quite interesting about that and it's something that's very much informed my outlook like um in life and and i guess all the active all the kind of the passion i have around you know female empowerment and stuff like that so i grew up in a very female household so you think my brother had gone to uni i'd lost my dad so it was me my sister and my mum i went to an all-girls school very very ambitious all-girls school it was a grammar school selective school and we had margaret thatcher sort of power at the time that was probably quite informative pivotal years for me now you know i don't necessarily agree with her politics and there's a lot you know uh, and I'm not sure she necessarily empowered women specifically, but like actively. But what she did represent was actually as a woman, you can be in the highest job in the country. And that was really important, I think, for a young girl growing up at that time, coming, making career choices and and, and things like that. So I just have always felt the strength of power, like strong women. You know, I've been raised by women. My mum was in effect a single mum, you know, very challenging. She lost her partner. He was the main breadwinner for years. I mean, she she went back into her career later on in life, you know, six, seven years later. She, you know, um, because there wasn't much call for Islamic and Arabic teachers in, in Salisbury. So she ended up going to London and working at a private school in London. But for many, many years, you know, she was a single mum that was really like, very, very economically challenged because she'd lost her her husband. So there's so many things about that that growing up and that experience and being around strong women, strong, ambitious, smart women that has informed and shaped my views. Um, and I think it's really been one of the sort of big fundamental um, drivers in me wanting to help empower other women because it's so important to have that female role modelling and female support network I think and I benefited from that through yeah. quite different times oh, but absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you must have well you must have all been you must be missing your dad she must be missing her husband mm. and I wonder whether it's a different kind of upbringing isn't it because so many people who have had a divorce and are brought up by their mum there's, there's an element of resent of the man Whereas I wonder whether if something, you know, they've passed away, it's a different, it's it's kind of more of a strong female empowerment rather than a anger and bitterness. And, and that's a real generalisation, but I just yeah. wonder, was that, was that happening or, or, or were there yeah. other? I mean, I think what it taught me is I can't depend on a man. And it wasn't obviously my dad's fault. It was, but it, but it was a situation where I, my mum was very dependent on my dad, like in terms of, you know, financially, in terms of, I mean, he dealt with all the paperwork. He made, you know, she she was a classic housewife, to be honest, which was brilliant for us having her around, and it meant she could be really focused on us. But it did give me a sense of I can't rely on a man being in my life. I need to be completely independent financially, emotionally, psychologically, and and actually that did affect me quite a lot because it took me a long time to be ready to commit and have a man. And even now, I'm still very independent within yes. my relationship yes. with my marriage. You know, I've been married for 15 years, and I'm still very. There's still that kind of part of me that really values my independence in that relationship and that was definitely came from a sense of well you just don't know what's going to happen you can't put your fate in the hands of anyone a man any particularly a man probably like so you know um yeah because because he just you just don't know what's going to happen and it wasn't like I said it wasn't his fault but at that age it's hard to process and you get all sorts of emotions but yeah it wasn't a resentment but it was more just a okay well that's something to think about yeah absolutely so you went to did you start off in advertising so no I didn't at all so I because I've grown up in such a 
sort of an environment that really valued academia. So my mum was a teacher, my dad was a doctor. I mean, if you look at the sort of Egyptian kind of culture, they don't, they value those classic professions, lawyer, accountant, you know, doctor. Um, So I, the creativity wasn't in my world and I, you know, wasn't in the creative hub of of the country, which is London. I went to a very academic school. It was a grammar school. It was all about the sciences. At the time, it was uh, we, we, it was wise women that they used to sort of push as a as a sort of mantra, and it was all around women in science education. Yeah. And they would try, and which is amazingly progressive, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's yeah. what I mean. What that's what I it gave me a confidence that I could do anything because they were pushing us into yeah. uh, industries that were not typically female. So that I, that was brilliant. But I just wasn't that way inclined. I was much more naturally a creative probably more entrepreneurial, the classic sort of characteristics that go against academic learning, if yeah. you like, just rote yeah. learning, memorization. It just just didn't. So the school discouraged any sort of creative. It didn't support the arts at all. And actually, I don't think you could even take the majority, with the exception of art. You couldn't really take drama or any, any of the other sort of um, uh, subjects, non-classic subjects for O-level. And unless you were an exceptionally brilliant artist, they wouldn't let you take art even. And I wasn't an exceptionally brilliant artist. I was just someone who just thought in stories and mm. imagination and creativity. And so I had no sense of that as an op- as a profession, as an option. So all I did was just reject everything because I just didn't know. I thought, I don't want to do that. I know I don't want to be a doctor. I know I don't want to be a teacher. I can't stand like school at such a it really hated the learning process so I kind of was a bit directionless really so I didn't I decided to leave school at 16 I went and did a beat with shock horror to my mum who was like oh my god like you know um unheard of in in my my family and I went and did a b-tech business course b-tech national business course and I was sort of early start of my course and my mum, who was, who'd been working in London, actually, she used to, she'd work in the week and come home at the weekends, um, which was another thing that really drove our independence. Cause I was 16 at the time. I was doing my O-levels. My sister was sort of taking her A-levels and it was not really, I mean, it was probably worse. Well, that was it. It was us. It was my sister looked after me. And it was so again, like probably not like, probably not, I mean, my mum had absolutely no choice. She needed no, to go. Exactly, to exactly. Yeah. That's not what we would particularly do now. No, no, you wouldn't. Actually, you... we would find it quite an alien thing to do. But of course, you know, well, my, you know, my mum worked. She didn't work away, but she wasn't around. She had to no. work. So you're forced to make these decisions. No other option. And, yeah, you know, after for it, brilliant. But yeah, yeah. yeah so, so, I, so that was another, I guess, point in my yeah. life where I became independent because again I was like well I can't really rely not like you don't process it like that because I completely understood why she had to and actually I was like delighted to have freedom to be honest with you at the time I was like whoa I can do what I want because my mum was quite strict really like so so it was a a, this burst of freedom but actually in hindsight now I think actually you know they're really important I've got a 14 year old daughter and a 15 year old son and I think to myself my god this is when they really need you actually so you know so now that I sort of understand and so but it it did teach me independence and um but sorry I went off on a bit of a tangent so oh yeah so anyway so she'd moved us so so she did that for a year I think it was a year actually and then she moved us to London so my my studying got interrupted from that and then I so I went and enrolled in a in a um university sorry college it wasn't a university it was a college in Acton near where we were living and to do the BTEC and I just didn't it thought it was a massive culture shock for me having come from this small yeah. sleepy city yeah. town to suddenly urban London and I and in all honesty I just I just I, it, I was I kind of it, it yeah I, I wasn't ready for that kind of shift so what I ended up doing and was I I decided that I was going to work and that as soon as I was old enough to, to live on my own I was going to move back to Salisbury um, and do that so because I think I just is what I knew I felt it felt yeah. safe it felt familiar um, so I got a job in a shoe shop I did I think I, I worked on in Topshop makeup counter as well for a bit eyes lips and nails it was called and, right. um, and I just worked for a year trying whilst I was trying to figure it out and by that in, within that year I started to love London because it does take a bit of getting used to but once you get into it it's you know and I was starting to what I really loved about it was I was seeing people like me that looked like me. 
Right. I was like, oh my God, this is where my people are. <laughs> because right. everyone just looks so different. And I'm particularly yeah. London. Brent is really diverse. I still live in Brent. I live in Brent, yeah. Brent now. It's one of the most diverse cities in the uh, boroughs, certainly in London. I think, you know, maybe even in the world, actually. But it's so, so I felt more um, at home in sense of, you know, I started to embrace and celebrate my how I looked and my difference and my curly hair, which I'd sort of straightened for much of my younger life. Um, and I just, so I saw, I found myself. And then I also realized, oh, this is where, it's all happening. This is where, because I used to, the thing I did used to really connect with strongly when I was a kid, even though I didn't know what I wanted to do, I used to love the ads on TV. I just absolutely love them. And my mum used to say to me, God, if you could recite your lessons, like you can recite these ads, you know, you had all the slogans <laughs> and all, yeah, oh, yeah. all of them. And I just used to love them. And so, so, but I didn't, it was, to me, it was like another universe. It was like this other world that just wasn't but once I'd got into London, I'd realised, oh, this is where it's all happening. This is where this world exists. So I'd been, I'd kind of made quite a strategic decision, actually, for someone at my, that young. I just thought, OK, well, look, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and do a secretarial course because everybody needs secretaries. So if I can get, so if I can get a secretarial course under my belt, I can work anywhere because who doesn't need secretaries? And so that's when I, so I, I did a year learned shorthand and touch typing and and then I just and then I just went to a recruitment agency and said I want to work in media like you know any, right. anything in media music film any anything to do with media and I ended up my first job was a music publishing company which I spent six months at and then a friend of mine got uh, helped me get a job at Virgin Vision it was called and it was one of Richard Branson's you know early companies and it was basically film distribution company where I did admin um, in the sales department um, and then I started I noticed like the marketing guys seemed to be having more fun so I was like oh no that's what I want to do marketing um, and then I just left there and said oh I want to do went to a went to a, a, a recruitment agency and said oh, oh I want to work in marketing not really knowing <laughs> anything about it other than it just looked quite fun what I didn't realize was you've got the kind of agency side and then you've got the brand side and I didn't yeah. know the difference but anyway I ended up being interviewed for a job as a sort of receptionist, sort of admin, general runner type person in a small independent um, agency. And it was actually, it was a kind of what was then known as sort of below the line agency, which was sort of sales promotions and yeah, yeah. and things like that. And I, and that was the start of my journey. So I'd, I'd, I was used to type up the presentations or the pitches. And I remember just going, oh my God, this is it. I just love typing up these pitches the strategy and the ideas and the mm. and I that's when I fell in love with the industry and I was like okay this is what I want to do and what as soon as I knew what I wanted to do I kind of went very single-mindedly hell for leather um to do that and then you know I got uh, I got support of one of the directors who kind of sponsored me in a way and nurtured me and developed me and then he went on to um run another business later he, he uh, went into another agency took me and then that was it that was my start of my career um in the industry oh how lovely what a lovely yeah. story but <laughs> you still chose an industry where there weren't a lot of people looking like you no no no, no, no. God, at that no. time um I mean even now and we'll, we'll come on and talk about this in a minute I guess but um you know, and for people who can't see you, you have beautiful, what we would call kind of olivey skin, amazing hair. Um, but, you know, that that's quite an unusual look for our industry. And I don't think, you know, we, we, it, we, we talked about this a lot. Was it tough? To be honest with you, there was a lot of factors coming into play for me that it was quite hard to single out and identify what the issue was, if I was really honest, because I had a lot of um, resistance uh, to me and my progress in, in in certain businesses. But for me, it was very hard to disentangle how much of that was to do with my education versus my ethnicity. Um, and being so, a woman. And being a woman. I mean, to be honest with you, the female thing I didn't feel until I had my first child. But certainly I had resistance to my progress um, but I think, you know, so the first business I worked in as a receptionist, and I was lucky to have had somebody who supported me in that because I didn't have everybody's support in the business because they had a policy, which was if you wanted to be an account manager in that business, you needed a degree and you needed three years experience. It was a small indie and they had a very sort of senior hands-on kind of approach. 
I, I did not have a degree. And how the hell are you supposed to get three years experience if you haven't got a degree? Because you just couldn't. Yes. You yes. know, you couldn't. And that's, you know, so, but but what I did have was a lot of energy, a real hard work, hard ethic, and somebody who was had my back and gave me opportunities. And that's how I did it because it was a fast growing agency and they almost couldn't hire quick enough. So what they ended up sort of being forced to do was getting me supporting on certain accounts. And actually, you know, I had a sponsor that that helped me do that. So in a way they almost, it sort of happened organically because out of necessity then, but I had a lot of resistance when I said, actually, I want to be an account manager. I want to work on the account handling side I got so it was very hard for me to disentangle because it was easy for me to just go well that's because I don't have a degree but actually I'm sure there were other factors that came into play as well to be honest yeah yeah and then in your life when did you meet Trevor so okay so I met Trevor he was very good friends with my old boss who was actually the guy who had sponsored me Ah, in the early part of my career so I've got a lot to thank this guy for really because I was good in my career um so I just so I used to work at this agency who which was um co-owned by this guy um who who um and and Trev was a, a very good friend of his so we met through that um how I ended up getting into the business is a kind of different story really in the sense that because he founded the business I didn't found it originally ah, yeah, so so I, yeah. how long has it been going before you joined so it's been going I think for about 10 years maybe okay. just over 10 years so I came in at a point, so I I left the business, um, sorry, I left the, like I say left the business. When I had my children, yes. uh, the first child, I had prior to that been working, um, well, in an environment where I could see other women who had gone off to have children come back in a sort of slightly different role and then sort of disappear. Yes. So I'd seen that. Yes. And over and over again. So yeah. I knew like this sort of unconscious, well, it's this sort of implied through what you're seeing sense of, I knew I would not be able to have my children and probably continue. It, well, that's what it said to me. That's Absolutely. Exactly yeah. for me. I never, people say, why do you set up your own business? Why don't I set up Haystack? Because I couldn't run an agency. Nobody would let me run an agency and have children and yeah. spend any time at home at all. It just wasn't an option. No, which is exactly so I was so I knew that was going to be the case. And I was working crazy hours, like really, really crazy hours at this place. Kind of. And I just thought, you know what, I'm I'm just can't do this. Even if they well, one, I don't think they're going to see me in the same way. and I'm not going to get the same opportunities. And secondly, I'm not prepared to work like this like and not see my 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 children so I it was at that point that I decided I was going to freelance consult and shape my career and it was at that point that I was I I went in to help Trev I just went in to help him on a pitch I said right you know I'll come in I'll help you on a pitch we won the business I said okay I'll help better in and then I kind of never left and that was it really and then that was the opportunity for me to take control of my career if you like, right. being part of this right. business. And we went through, the, re- the reason I think that we went through a, um, so we went through an acquisition, which I went in to sort of help, again, help settle him into that. And then I sort of quickly realised, actually, no, I, I don't, I, I can't really leave him to do this on his own because it required so much. He's a creative at the end of the day, you know. So, yeah. you know, so he, he wasn't going to lead the business in that way. And I, and, and I wanted to make sure that he was the business and he was protected in that relationship and then you know we we then went through a management buyout took ourselves back and then became you know solely wholly independent again at which point I became a 50-50 partner in the business. And and did you therefore have a a kind of moment of reset because I think looking in from the outside now I hear that story that's exactly sort of what I saw but then suddenly it felt like well as you said 50-50 partnership very much you being the you know, the, the the managing director, leader, Trev, brilliant creative, you know, both of you from a different ethnic background. So very strong, culturally different. D- did you have to, how did you have that conversation between yourselves? How did you work that out as business professionals? And then how did that link into your home life? I think it was a bit, it was difficult at first, to be honest with you, because I think I went in sort of post- um well it was it, it was difficult because in many ways Trevor and I have got really shared we've got very very deeply shared values 
because of our upbringings. We've had very different types of upbringings, but we've both experienced marginalization. We've both experienced, you know, certain challenges due to our backgrounds. Um, and so we've got these inherent val shared values because of that, but we are fundamentally, we, you know, we, we think very differently. We go about things very differently. He's, you know, we're in, we're in sort of naturally opposing roles as well. The creative, yeah. the, the suits. And, you know, my background was, was more, I was a very strategic suit and I've always loved the creative process. Worked, always worked very creatively driven mm -hmm. businesses, businesses that really value the creative, the, the creative output. So, so harmonious in that respect, but just by naturally opposing and, and obviously we're partners as well in, in life. So mm -hmm. it took us a long time to figure out how to work together in a way that was healthy. Cause actually he, he needs that time to switch off. He needs to let, allow his mind to wander. He needs to, kind of go on roam abouts and you know whereas I was 24 7 full-on intense and actually having me follow him around the house talking to him about work is the last thing you want as a creative who needs to just allow things to to, to sort of, so it's a very different sort of processing model and I think also actually he's got a much healthier approach to it and I've learned that that actually that's not 24 seven doing more doesn't make you more productive always. And it certainly doesn't get you to better outcomes because you do need time to think like in time to let thoughts come into your head and, and not be always doing, I was always doing whereas he could just be and just, you know, absorb stimulus and things like that. So I've learned a lot from him actually in that respect. And I've learned, we've learned how to respect each other's boundaries um, with that. So it was, but but what we have always had is this sort of like almost unspoken shared set of values that has just permeated through the business. Right. Um, and it was quite interesting because when we decided actually we need to do a bit of work on our business, set out our philosophy, set out our values, we, we brought in a third party consultant to come in and help us with that. And what was really interesting was what came through. They interviewed all our staff, they interviewed... Yeah. They, there was a very, very, very strong sense of culture and values in that business that we had never ah, formally true. articulated. And I think it's because it came so wholeheartedly from yeah. the leadership because we were so aligned as a couple. Yes. And, and what kind yeah. of things would those strong values yeah. be? What, what so it was things like inclusivity, fairness, you know, empowering our staff, um, you know, we Trev founded that business because he wanted to work differently, not because he was like, oh, I see an opportunity in the market and then I'm going to grow. I see a gap. I'm going to grow a business. I'm going to sell it. I'm it was he wanted to work differently, um, which is why he founded that business. And same for me. I wanted to work differently. So it was the business was never we've never made decisions about that business around growth first, commercial success first. It's always been values led. Yes. As in, how we want to work what the kinds of people we want to work with yes the way we want to what we care about like the fact that we've always done pro bono work for in the whole history of the business we've always done stuff to support like causes uh like social issues that we care about we've used you would be able to do that like in in the way that we do if you were in an environment that was all about margins and profits yeah. and growth you just couldn't so that has been very, very fundamental to the business. So there's no issues there. There's no conflict of us wanting different things. And that's permeated through our business. And then, you know, now we've articulated it much more specifically and it's embedded in our values and it's embedded in our culture and ethos. It's 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 now very formal. So when people come in, yes. they go, this, this is what the business is about. Because what we found was as we started to grow and we started to bring in senior leadership, we saw it change a bit like it changed and we're like hold on a minute like what's going and we're like no it's because we've got other people who've come in who are bringing their own sort of perspectives and values and that's when we realized actually no it's got to be anchored in policy business plan strategy vision and and we we formalized it a lot more in recent years um, and is that why it's called quiet storm no you know what well actually interestingly and, and like you can post rationalize this in so many different ways i don't think trev would because because to him, he doesn't really think about it like that. But I think for me, it was quite an interesting insight, actually. He founded it. He he came up with the name because it was a club he could never get into back in the day. 
ah. there was a club, and I remember that club because I used to go to it, and they, I did get in actually. Like I think the girls had it easier than the boys, <laughs> but I um, it was called Quiet Storm, and you could never get in. So it was a really strict, strict door policy, and they'd like like the look of you, or they didn't. And of course, you know, Trevor had problems getting in. So it's it's interesting that you'd go that because you know, I, I mean, he would never say this, and and I don't, you know, it's a massive post rationalization, but it is quite interesting, isn't it, to be still one of very few black ECDs in this industry. Um, you know, it's quite ironic in a way that he'd end up, you know, naming a club after an in- a place he couldn't get into. So. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's that that's it really. But actually, what's so interesting about it as a name is I do think it's sort of if you know us as a business and people say it is that I do think we're quite I mean, we, we've got we, we you know, we have a lot of um we make a lot of noise for a small business yeah. and we make a lot of noise for our clients as a small business. I think people are always really surprised at our size. And I think that also plays to this whole idea of being quite a humble, kind of unassuming, but quite noisy. Yes. Um, yes. Yes, you like yeah. in some ways, which I love, which yeah. I do love. Uh, so I'm just interested. How do you again just carry on a little bit more? Because you said as a child you were quite a people pleaser. You know, you were the one who was kind of making sure everyone was okay, fitting in. How do you then have conversations that were perhaps more a little round difficult conversations, conflictual yeah. conversations? You know, with Trev because he's your husband. Um, but also, you know, with your clients, with people, do you find that difficult? I find it incredibly difficult, to be honest with you. And it's taken me years to learn how to have those conversations in an unemotional way. Because yeah. I think for me, because I find them so difficult, I get quite emotional yes. about it. And it can come up, the delivery can be really bad. Um, what, 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 when you say the delivery can be bad, what happens? Or what I think say? I end up having to work myself up, quite, well, not not anymore, because I've learned how to have these difficult questions right. in a healthy way. But I think historically, I'd almost have to get quite wound up to, yes. to do it, to say it. Yes. Because yes. I just, because, because, because I, I think when you've grown up where you're having to um, assimilate, assimilate, you know, you, you, you do have to like, you know, put yourself and your own needs sort of to one side sometimes. And, yeah actually sort of put up with certain things because you just and let things go and let things sort of go over your head and so it, it, I think it was yeah I, I I would have to get so I'd end up getting quite I'd have to be quite cross to have the conversation and mm-hmm. end up being quite a cross conversation rather than a calm sort of you know perfectly reasonable ask so so that I've learned it's taken me quite a few years to learn that and actually I've done, I, I do that more with Trevor now as well I mean it's naturally gonna like you've got all the emotions then you've got the added emotions of being in a relationship and it's um so I, I've learned to just deliver deliver things in a in a kind of yeah more considered way and do you set a time a part time to have those conversations rather than go so that you can deal with lots of stuff as it comes up uh, or, or or what? What I've learned is when not to have them, probably more than when to have them, because it's never really a good time. I think Trevor would avoid any difficult conversation if he could, to be honest with you. But, but, and, it's, and he's busy and we're both busy. So there's never really a good time, yeah. if I was honest. But I think what I have learned is the good time is not in our private time. You know, and I do not have those conversations now in the evening when we're trying to wind down or at the weekends when we're having dinner or lunch or like, you know, cause, yeah. and sometimes they do come up obviously cause you stumble into those conversations, but I'm much, much more conscious to keep our private time private and not about the business. Yes. Um, so yeah. And we have all the typical kind of structured meetings that you'd have around things like board meetings and management catch-ups and things like that. So, yeah. you know, I keep it to that. I keep it to those yeah. environments. Yeah. So I've also learned which conversations just not to have with, with Trev because actually he doesn't want to have them. It's not his core skill really. And he doesn't, and it's not where he adds value. So I have also learned that actually uh, there was a time where I just felt like, well, this is half your business too. You need to care about everything that I'm caring about. And I'm actually, he needs to do great creative work and he needs to make sure that we're delivering brilliant creative output. That's the most important thing. And, and there's yes. other conversations that maybe I need to lean on other people for. That's that. very good, very good insight. Because I think, you know, I feel a bit like, a bit like me. You, you, you look like such a powerful, such a completely sorted person. Um, and I have for years found conflict difficult 
That's different from being open. I'm unbelievably open. Like anyone could talk to me about anything pretty much. Absolutely fine. Apart from stuff I feel really closely passionate about or I feel, I don't know, emotional about and I'm hopeless. And I and I have really tried to work on it uh, and I still find it difficult. And I think to your point, either I wind myself up and therefore I'm angry or I cry. And that's even more annoying. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think a lot of women struggle with it, to be honest with you. I don't think, I think, it, you know, I, I think it's, um, well, not just women. I, I guess that's a massive sweeping statement. It's not yeah, just but I, but I, I think, think, some... I think right, though, I think more do. And I think the other thing I, I have a great tendency to do is a, a version of catastrophizing, yes. which is not so much making, oh, my God, this is the worst possible outcome, but just the playing conversation over and over yeah. again oh, yeah. and like going that is so annoying and even walking out of a room and going oh I, I said that should I have yes. said that? yeah yeah you yeah know? and, I, and I find that deeply annoying mm. but I still yeah. well it's that, so it is so like it takes its toll doesn't it it really takes its toll yeah. I mean everything you just can't let go and everything takes so much emotional time because you know the, the thing I do admire and it tends to be a male trait more than, than female not for everyone is just the compartmentalization yeah. you know do something get on with it walk away don't think about it again doesn't really matter the impact think you were brilliant it's absolutely fine yeah. but you know we know and, and we know particularly from being in Wackle uh, women on the whole do think differently they need to tick all the boxes before they'll step forward uh you know like yes actually you're absolutely right you know we know we've done so much research on it yeah um for those of you that don't listening who don't know who, that what, what wackle is um and I've, I've spoken about it on my podcast several times i've spoken to some lovely presidents tell us uh, a little bit about wackle and why you took on the presidency yeah so Wackle, it, it, well, its purpose is to accelerate gender equality in the industry for the benefit of all, because we know that everyone benefits from um, uh, where you have when you have equal representation. It's you know it impacts the bottom line, it impacts uh, the success of the business, and and the whole business benefits because you know again, with there's lots of data to show that women are more active around DNI, DEI um, than than their male colleagues. So. It, you know, if you've got more women in positions where big decisions are being made, where influential uh, cultural decisions are being made and, and, and general, well, everywhere where there's kind of power in the organization, that the whole benefit, that everyone's going to benefit from that. So, um, so obviously it was hugely motivating to me having, like from my early experiences, as I said, you know, um, recognizing the importance of strong women on shaping other brilliant women <laughs> you know I've, I've had so many sort of um influences in my life that have kind of informed my my perspective on my abilities and my capabilities and and, and my place in the world and this is an organization that is really critical we're still so far behind men in terms of having an equal footing in the workplace it looks you know superficially like we've made a lot of progress if you look at the numbers but actually when you dig deeper into those numbers you'll see that actually a lot of those senior leadership roles are, are non-execs and there's nothing wrong with that they're obviously really important to our industry and lots of our wacker women have got portfolio careers and that's brilliant but actually what we want to see is that representation well it's not and that's not even 40 percent. and these women will be having a number of portfolio careers so they're being double counted as well across all yes. the different businesses that are involved in but what we really or they're in roles that are less um are ultimately less influential like in hr roles or in terms of business informing business strategy and fight and big decisions so 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 really this is about ensuring that we have that representation in every level of leadership and the top jobs as well ceo roles so you know if you really start scratching it you see that we are way behind and then when you look at certain industries like the tech tech industries and then you look at sort of FTSE 100 and all that kind of it becomes more and more bleaker picture in terms of really how much progress we've made as women so so Wackle's got a big job to do. And I think what we want to do is really set the the tone. But like it, we're very much focused on advertising and communication. But what we want to be is almost like best practice, if you like, for other industries as well. Almost like a kind of role model for, for other industries where they can kind of adopt some of our practices as well. So, so that is the kind of big ambition. And as we come into our 
hundredth year, we wanted to be a lot clearer on what does equality mean. And so for us, we're, we're thinking very much about how we define that, how we measure it, what are the levers, you know, um, giving some real tangible action plans um, to the industry to help drive this change and accelerate it, move it a lot quicker. Um, and part of that is representation in advertising and the communication. It's about how we are putting work out in the world because we know that's the start point yeah. of women's experiences you know and and for me you know if you're seeing stuff that's telling you that you're not you know that you're you're kind of these are the roles that are right for you or this is who you are and what your characteristics are they're limiting they're hugely limiting we know that because clearly with with recent legislation around stereotyping and advertising and stuff like that so we're all responsible for that you know we're senior women in this industry we're responsible for the advertising that's going out into the world as well as what's going on in our organizations and 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 everything else so yeah so there's a lot we can do to drive that change um, and i'm personally really obviously excited about that um being a, you know part of a margin you know as women we're marginalized and then as a woman of color marginalized again so they're things that that, that, that you know speak to me yes you know, yes well. and i you know i think i don't know i don't know how long you've been a member i feel like i've been a member for ages um but it is for me two things one is about having a group of women as friends and colleagues and supporters and it is such a joy uh because i was never sure that that's what i really really wanted and i could not have gone through particularly the last 10 years I think in my career without the support of some extraordinary women so that has been brilliant for me um, but I love now the fact that we are a bit more on our front foot we are very much encouraging people to speak out we have a voice we have a voice in business and, and, I, and I like this concept of you know being part of advertising communications and making the difference you know I think with my with Let's Reset one of the things that I've found in organisations, because you've always got to start somewhere, haven't you? And the joy of for us of working often with marketing teams, with senior leaders who get the importance of linking well-being to performance, the importance of inclusivity, the importance of culture being as important as performance. And actually, so often, it's the marketeers that can make the change because yeah. they're forward thinking and you just need to, we need to corral the people in the right direction. And then, as you say, use us as, uh, you know, the poster children in a way to say, look, it can be done. This is a great way of it happening and continuing to help and motivate other parts of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and also to the point that you made as well, you know, it's, it's lonely being in a leadership role as well and having you know a very basic level if you like at the very sort of lowest level of engagement for the club is that we've got a bunch of other women who know that we can lean on that are going through the same things it's lonely being a leader full yeah. stop let alone a yeah. female leader um so so yeah so there's all of the the, the the higher level sort of stuff that we want to do but there's also that just very basic need for a network, a support network, which helps massively around with, with mental health as well. Um, you know, we've got some brilliant stuff that, that happens at a membership level, which is about us just being there for each other as well, supporting each other. Yeah, Which, yeah, yeah. Really and I think the learning and the training aspect. I've got my new mentees over the weekend, so that's yeah. very exciting. You know, I think there's, there's a there's a give and get that's always lovely that I learn a lot from. Um, I hope that they get something from it as well. But, you know, I think there's that that real feeling of support. And I think that Wackle's done a brilliant job of being much more contemporary, actually. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, that's what, that's what I'm so excited about um, in terms of where we're going. And obviously, as we come into our 100th year, which we are next year, of course, we want to look back and look at the progress that we've made and, and celebrate the women who've helped get us here. Yeah. Um, to be, but we also want to look forward and, and continue to shape the industry and and pull the women coming behind us up as well because yeah, so, it's yeah. thing, isn't it I think when you've been in an industry for some time I don't know if you experience this but because I'm now outside I'm still very much in the core marketing communications industry and I still have involvement with oyster catchers and Exium, which is brilliant but my other two parts of my life is one as a non-exec and the other is with let's reset as a non-exec, I've absolutely gone right back into that old-fashioned surrounded by men, uh, which is so weird. Actually, not on the boards I'm on. Well, one in one is one isn't, but but with very progressive 
thinking, but I can absolutely see it. And it's quite a shock sitting in that environment again. And then I think working on, you know, well-being, mental health, it is on people's agenda, but it's very new. It's very new to be disciplined around. It's very new to have that measurement. And I get a little bit what I used to have a long time ago in marketing, which was, oh, well, it's not really a commercial thing, is it? It's a nice thing. And yeah. as a woman, aren't you lovely to give back? And you know, and of course, it's something I passionately believe in. But in the same way that when I started Haystack and Oyster Catchers, it wasn't like a laugh. It is my it is my livelihood. It is something I believe that we can change. And I'm delighted that marketing and advertising has got much more professional, you know, yeah. proper career to be in now. Yeah. Mostly. Uh, but but it, but again, it's so weird. I've sort of gone backwards. It feels like I've gone backwards twenty years in some ways in my life. Yeah, no, I know. I completely yeah. Because you can sometimes you can be a little bit in your own bubble, particularly when you're part of an organisation like Wacker, where you're constantly <laughs> talking to senior women. You can it feels sometimes like you've made more progress than we actually have, and then something like that happens, and you're like, oh no, right, this is the real world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly that. It's exactly yeah. that. And I was then also thinking, oh, sorry, we seem to talk a lot about Trev in this. I didn't mean to talk about <laughs> no, it. So it's so interesting to have two very strong people in a partnership and working together. Um, but I, I wondered whether, you know, it feels like for me, and now I understand a bit more of the story, you, you know, you took some time to be a mum. You've then come back into the business, you're equal partners. And now it feels like you're really accelerating your career. And I see this a lot with women, particularly as their children get older. You know, most 50 plus year old men that I talk to can't wait to retire. Most 50 plus women I talk to literally can't wait to get going. And, you know, there's that there's that real interesting balance. And I wonder, I know Trev's super proud of you and, you know, massive supporter because I've spoken to him about it. But I wonder is, do you feel that sense? Do you feel that dynamic change? Do you feel that shift in? I, t- I tell you what I think it is, is, I mean, obviously I, I came into the business like over 10 years ago. So, you know, my kids were really young actually when I came in and I was obviously trying to build a business back up because it was, a, you know, it was a tough time for the business when I came into it. It was post uh, financial crisis, yeah. you know, it was a graft and it's been a graft and the last 10 years have been tough for, for business. It's never, it's not, it's never gone back to, to the, the, the pre crisis levels yeah. it's got harder and harder and it's it's more and more challenging to make money particularly from the creative like you know creative agency kind of classic more classic sort of creative agency and yeah. um so it's not been easy so i have had this kind of sense of like i've never in some ways years that where you might take a bit more time out or try and find more balance for your family you know it wasn't necessarily the case but what I am definitely feeling is I've got teenagers who are going to be very they're already starting to become a lot more independent they're soon going to be going off to uni or, or whatever it is they're doing even if they don't end up going to uni that but the point is they're just they're separate I can feel I'm like I can feel I'm losing them already and they're, they're still quite young but so you suddenly go oh god I've got all this this capacity now because even if you're not you know, even if you're having to balance with working hours and things like that, you emotionally, you're very, very invested in your kids, I think. And then suddenly you've got these kids who are becoming much, much more independent. And yes, they do need you in a different kind of way yeah. as they get older. But you suddenly feel like you've got some space in your life yes. to, do, to do other things. And I think um, and I'm definitely feeling that I'm definitely feeling the sense of right, you know, in a way I'm going to have a sort of second third wind yeah. once they go off and and I've got all this time that that I'm going to suddenly have so I think for me it's about making sure that finding the balance between investing in my kids now because they do need you desperately at, at teenage years because they go through all sorts of stuff emotionally but also investing in a career or a future career because you're going okay what's my future going to look like because soon there's going to be you know, it's not going to be all about the kids. And, and so not, you know, not that it's all about the kids now, but you know, that you do have a certain amount of, um, you know, yeah, emotional capacity that, that that you maybe don't have when they're at a certain age. So, um, so yeah, so I'm always thinking about that. I mean, the Wackle presidency did come at a time where if I was really honest, um, it's not the sort of thing that comes up every year, you know, it's a once in a lifetime, you know, I got invited 
to do it this year. I might not ever get invited again. And if I was honest, it probably, this year probably wouldn't have been the year I would have chosen to do it because I have got teenagers. I've got a son who's doing yeah. this. Just, but it was just such an unbelievable opportunity to do something really like important and meaningful. And it's such a prestigious kind of honor to be honest with you that I just couldn't say no but I probably if you know if I could have planned it differently yeah. I maybe would have done that's it. always the case though isn't it yeah. so in, in a year's time if we're chatting again and you're at the end what's the one thing that you'd go do you know what Sooks that's what I'm most proud of that's what I really wanted to achieve this year I, I, I mean I want to help define um I think it's uh, we're working on it. We're working on on something that you know, which is sort of very much anchored in, in this um, thought, and uh, that we've just talked about around what are the levers and the and the drivers of change, which we're going to share sort of next year in our hundredth. But I guess for me, what this piece of work will hopefully do is help mobilize the industry in a way that's going to drive that kind of momentum beyond just what we're trying to do as a club, because what we really need is that exponential mobilization of the industry and I really think this is a you know could be quite a foundational piece of work that will help drive that I mean one of the things that and I know it's something that that Nishma's who's my vice president is really um, wanting to drive and, and lead is this whole thing around kind of allyship and mobilizing more and more people because we do a lot as a as a club but really it needs to be a much more collective effort um, so that is a legacy I'd, I'd love to see sort of at least started to some degree or helped not started because you know obviously it, it was it was you know it's been going for many many years and every single president has helped shift the dial in their own way so I guess for me it'll be about you know helping um realize a piece of work that's going to help you know drive that ex acceleration sort of further yeah I think, yeah know. yeah absolutely well we're all there cheering you on um so then just finally what do you do in your very busy life to look after yourself, uh, your own well-being, your mental health. You've got a, clearly a very strong sense of purpose and you've got some good autonomy and control in some ways. What else do you do to look after yourself? Well, what I have learned is it's a daily practice looking after yourself. And this is something I have really, it's taken me a long time to get right. I've, I've personally suffered from burnout on a number of occasions in my earlier career because I'm quite an all-out kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I, I have to manage myself a bit because um, I can be quite obsessive and, you know, so I've learned to disassociate, like, you know, I think I just thought the more hours you do and the more you do, the more you get out. And I'm realizing that's not true. It's actually about quality output, not quantity. So I have take, I take the time I need now. Um, so making sure I have daily practices that just help with my mental health. So things like I do a daily walk every morning um when i'm when i work from home it's around the park when i work when i work from the office it's walking to the office i meditate daily i do yoga at least a couple of times a week i make sure when i'm with the kids i'm with the kids you know so you know i'd be obsessively checking my phone every time it pinged every you know so i've switched off my pinging alert so i've done a lot of things that about putting me first nourishing things that are nourishing and you know it hasn't, you know, because that's, I think that's the real shift that we need is that it used to be hours based, didn't it? It was like, it was all about how many hours you worked rather yeah. than, so, so I'd always feel really guilty when I wasn't, you know, and the more, the tougher it is, the more you think you need to put more hours in, but actually that's the tougher it is, the more you need perspective and perspective only comes from putting time into, into your well-being. Um, I so completely agree. It, it, you're so interested you say that. It's, it is having to rewire our brains. We've had, and we are absolutely that kind of generation where it was all about amount of hours. Mm. It wasn't about output. And yeah. difficult to get ourselves to go, it's okay. And, and even recognise that we will be more effective if we... Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then work in a different way. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. It's been lovely, lovely to talk to you. I could carry on talking for much longer, but um, uh, we've all, we've both got things to do. Yes. Um, <laughs> so oh. much for spending time with me today and good luck in the 100th year of Wackle. Uh, we couldn't have a better president. So um, look forward to supporting you and being there and being part of it. 
No, thank you. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed our conversation, Suki, as always. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network. <laughs>